Thank you for listening to the Troy Podcast, where we promote, educate, inspire, and entertain creators of all things related to fantasy and science fiction. Hi, this is Carson with Troy, and I have with me Brandy York. Brandy is an artist, um, a fantasy artist who does some really unique uh, work. Um, Brandy, thank you for getting on with me today. Uh, go ahead and introduce yourself. And... Well, thank you for having me. Uh, my name is Brandy York. Um, I do Art Nouveau-styled geeky fantasy artwork, um, some pop culture thrown in there, uh, but a lot of Dungeons and & Dragons and tabletop-inspired work predominantly. But uh, it's, it's funny working in the Art Nouveau style, too, because a lot of people recognize it without knowing what it is, because it's so permeated the, the art culture without ever really getting as recognized as things like... Um, impressionism and cubism and you know stuff that people go oh hey i know what that is uh so yeah it's a fun style to work in and it's definitely uh a challenge sometimes no and you're right it's very recognizable like i I go oh i like that style but Mm -hmm. i didn't know much about art nouveau until i you know booked you and i'm like i gotta figure out how she does it because art to me i love it but i don't know you know like impressionism or renaissance like i don't know all the like the, the correct terms and so for those who are listening um, or watching, Art Nouveau is a style that kind of took place in the late 19th century to the early 20th century. Am I am I right in that? Yes, you are correct in that. Yeah. And, and what drew me to your booth, uh, we met at Phoenix Fan Fusion, was the Dungeons and Dra- Dragons aspect. Like you had like a druid and a bard and stuff, and it was very unique. Um, yeah. Why did you decide to? to go that route like I mean you can do anything you know like why fantasy uh I mean I've always loved fantasy animation uh Beauty and the Beast is the reason that I am an artist uh Disney is much of the reason I'm an artist and at all so um the fantasy the fairy tales things like that always drew me in and then when I got into playing Dungeons and Dragons and World of Warcraft and you know a lot of the the fantasy aspect games um it just kind of took its own direction. And I've always loved Art Nouveau. Um, Alphonse Mocha is one of my favorite artists who kind of originated the style back in 1893, I think it was. Um, Revolutionized poster advertisements in France at the time. And it just exploded into this whole style. Um, And so I've always loved the very organic aesthetic of it. And I'm like, okay, what happens if I try to merge these? How do I, how do I, and I'm not the first person to ever do this, but um, yeah, I just started playing with it about eight years ago and well, I dabbled in it much earlier than that, but like really seriously sat down and started trying to interpret a a very old style with a very modern concept. (laughs) And yeah. uh, And about a year later, I started the class series that you referred to. It's called my tabletop nouveau. Uh, and it's all the base classes and races of D&D with women wearing appropriate armor, because that is also a very unusual thing to find in fantasy art. Right. So, yeah. So especially as a female gamer, uh, I appreciate, you know, if you if you want to wear skimpy armor, by all means, but let me have the option otherwise. So, yeah. No. And you said something like it is very fairy tale-esque um, mm-hmm. when, when I see your your art. Um you know, we talked to you for a little bit and you not only do, you know, the Dungeons and Dragons, but um, you do lots of other things. Like you had pictures from our, our paintings from like the Dresden Files. You had Han Solo. Like you could do very 
good realism as well. Yes. Yeah. I, yeah, I actually, uh, funny story. Um, did portraits and caricatures at Disneyland for a year and a half. Did you really? Yes, I did. Uh, my husband and I sat down one day cause he worked there for a while too. Uh, and we figure in the year and a half that I worked there, I did over 1800 portraits. Wow. So I, I definitely portraiture has always been my first love. But so far as like the convention scene, it's not that unique. And so like, and there are definitely some phenomenal portrait artists out there. You get into like Alex Ross and, you know, people on his level. And it's just like, yeah, no, I'm not going to be competing with that one so much. (laughs) And there's, you know, there's also a lot more limitations into working straight realism. So um, I definitely have incorporated a lot of what I learned from doing that. Uh, that worked at Disneyland all those years ago. Um, but yeah, yeah, I love portraits. And so any excuse to really bring a likeness into the work is also a fun challenge for me and still make it fit the <laughs> fit the art style. Right. You kind of hit the nail on the head at, at conventions. There's lots of people kind of doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and yours is, is very unique. And that's kind of what drew me to you. Uh, part of this podcast is is creating stories, uh, whether that's mm-hmm. through being a comic book writer or an artist or, you know, an author. And when I go to conventions, I look for people with uniqueness. You know, everybody has unless unless they work for like Marvel or DC or, or whatever. Um, I usually kind of avoid those because everybody's painting Superman and Batman and, right. you know, so. I want somebody who's creating their, their own style, their own story, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what drew me to you. What's, what's some of your background? Like what's your training in, in art or did you um, not go to school? It's just kind of like a, I did, no, I did go to school. I okay. did go to school. Um, I didn't finish, but I did go to school. Uh, no, that's okay. I didn't finish either. <laughs> <laughs> so no, I had, I had a phenomenal art teacher in high school. Um, I wound up having her all four years and she was very adamant about, getting as many different mediums into my hands, teaching me as many different styles and about different styles and different techniques and all of that. Um, by my senior year, they were making up classes for me to keep me in her room as long as possible. Oh, wow. Cause I was in for first period for the, uh, the, the, the normal art class. And I was the only person in that level. It was like, you know, art level three or something. I don't even remember now. It's, it's a long time ago. Um, <laughs> but, uh, and then I was the yearbook graphics editor because I was the only person who knew how to turn on a computer. I'm really dating myself now. Um, so yeah, I got shoved into using Photoshop in the late nineties when it was not a good program. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, she was very adamant about learn as much now as you can, cause they're not going to teach you the basics in college. And then I got into college and that's all it was. It was the same stuff that she had taught me just over and over and over again. And I did not, I didn't take well to the college art, uh, school of art, um, it very much felt like everybody was in competition with everyone. And even the teachers had, and the professors had this mindset of you're going to do this my way or no way at all. And every, every way was different. So when you're in multiple art classes in one semester, it was very, very frustrating and very trying. And I made it about three years before I dropped out because I was just so frustrated with the whole process. There were 
other external things going on as well but like it was I was on the six-year track at that point mm-hmm. um partially too because just trying to get the classes I needed was so competitive plus um since you couldn't like test out of exploratory art and things like that like you can with some other degrees um it took me two years to get into the base class that was the prerequisite for every other art class because they let anybody take it oh wow so yeah um which you know it made it a challenge (laughs) trying to to finish out my bfa so um so shortly after I dropped out, a couple of years after, I wound up getting a job at Disneyland doing the portraits and caricatures. And I learned more in the year and a half there than I did in three years of you know, higher learning. Um, mostly because it was a bunch of other artists who were all trying to help each other get better and be, be better and get faster at what we were doing, get better at what we were doing. And it was not a competition. It was very much a group effort to Okay, this person sits down in front of you, you got 30 minutes, how do you do this effectively? Go. Like, yeah. So it was a much better, <laughs> much better learning experience overall. Um, and I got to play with mediums that I hadn't really gotten to play with a whole lot. It was a lot of pastel and watercolor. And, you know, in, in college, it was charcoal and oils. And anything else is is not real not real mediums like and i've run across this even years later like the art studios and art galleries that well if you're not working in watercolor oils or acrylics you're not working with a real medium i'm like okay i'll just take my pastels and go somewhere else thanks Uh, so yeah which is crazy because now you have such uh fantastic technology that people can make right. fantastic works of art on the computer mm-hmm. and not have to touch yeah. any other medium, you know, they don't have to get yeah. their, you don't have to get the charcoal out or their, you know, and they don't have to have a studio in their home. Right. Right. And like, I'm lucky enough to have a studio because I still have all of my traditional mediums, but, um, you probably just saw my cat walking back behind there. Um, he and his sister have a tendency to get into things oh. as cats are wont to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I, I am predominantly digital these days, partially because of the cats, uh, <laughs> partially because it, working on things like my tarot deck makes life a lot easier that not only do I not have to store 78 pieces of art, but uh, I can reuse the frames for the different suits and things like that. But um, on more than one occasion, my cats have had to have impromptu baths for getting into pastels or oils in the oh. past. And, <laughs> Yeah. Blue trail of paw prints through the house a few years back as one of them walked across my oil palette. Yeah. That's a fun surprise if you if you're out and you come home to a trail. Uh-huh. Oh no, I was home. I was home <laughs> and suddenly I see it was just one of our older cats um completely blue on the side of his face. And then I noticed it was on his back paw. He'd been scratching himself and then started cleaning himself. So his back paw was blue, his front paw was blue, and the entire side of his face was blue. And there was a trail leading from the studio down the stairs into the living room, up onto the cat box, back out of the cat box. It's just everywhere. So yeah, Um, having gone digitally since then has definitely um, eliminated a lot of those problems. Well, it sounds like, you know, colleges and even galleries that are looking for a specific thing. If you're an artist, that kind of limits you on what you can do. I mean, you do you you work with pastels and and, uh, other things, you know, at Disneyland. Um, What what have you found is your favorite medium? I still love pastels. 
um, in the before times, uh, before the pandemic started, I used to go into town once a week for uh, life drawing sessions that they had at one of the old galleries that uh, has since downsized, so they no longer have the space for this, unfortunately. But, uh, you know, it was Monday morning life drawing, and I would take my pastels and my big uh, 18 by 24 inch pad and go in and do sketches and portraits and things like that within the three hours. And I, there are times where I very much miss working in pastels, but um, occasionally I break them out for fun, but uh, some of my current projects uh, limit me on how much free time I have for stuff like that. So yeah, uh, it's, I do love working digitally though, because there is a lot of freedom in the ability to change things on the fly and go, okay, this color isn't working let me mess with this and try a completely different color and then adjust the rest of the piece around that. And there's, there's, you know, just like any medium, there's pros and cons to every medium. Right. And digital is no different. Although I do still have to have the conversation with people periodically that digital artwork does not mean I just hit a couple keys on the keyboard and pop, there it is. Although I guess there are programs on the internet now that do that, and that's a terrifying thought. But uh, I haven't delved very deeply into some of that yet, but I've seen some rumblings about uh, AI generators for artwork. So, Well, I hope we can always rely on humans to actually do the thing I that we need we to. I think we can. Like, there's... AI has come so far, but there's still certain limitations to what... A person pouring themselves into their work versus a computer just you know calculating an algorithm and putting that out right so you know i think we are i don't think we will ever see human made artwork go away in that regard i hope not that'd be a shame yeah, me too <laughs> <laughs> me too i don't want to lose my job to a computer no no definitely not <laughs> so were you always drawn like as a little kid yeah Kind of. Um, it's funny because I didn't, I mean, I would draw, I liked art classes in elementary school and things like that. And I would draw for fun every once in a while, but it wasn't, like I said, Beauty and the Beast was the big one for me. Um, saw that in the theaters, again, dating myself. Uh, and I did too. So <laughs> yeah, I uh, picked up the soundtrack and started drawing the cover from the soundtrack. And it, was, it finally hit me. I'm like, oh, I can, I can do this. So I must have drawn that cover 50 times and before I started playing with other things and doing other, and it was a lot of Disney through junior high and high school, uh, much to my art teacher's dismay, but <laughs> it got me drawing. So, um, yeah. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I, there are those artists who are like, oh yeah, since the minute I could pick up a crayon, I was always drawing and I was not one of those necessarily, but it was once I figured out this was something I could do. I was never without a sketchbook and pencils on me. Like I'd go to my brother's baseball games and I'd be sitting there with my sketchbook. Like, yeah, I'll, or his football games or whatever. That I was always, I would always make sure that I had backpacks big enough for my sketchbooks. That was my first priority. I didn't care about school books. Is this big enough to fit my sketchbook? Nice. So when did it click to where like, you know, not only can I do this, but I can make a living out of this. So my senior year of high school, um, I grew up right down the street from Disneyland. And so we had annual passes because 
it was affordable then and it was an easy escape from the house uh and at the time they used to have on main street uh, these artists that would create uh hand painted artwork that was then turned into wristwatches and we got to be friendly with a number of the artists there. Um, one of my friends and I were, we'd both go and sit at Disneyland and draw because that was, you know, <laughs> when you have an annual pass, this is what you did. Uh, <laughs> so uh, one of them had, one of those artists that did the watches had a, um, had a studio of his own that did children's books illustrations. And so he invited me to come in and do some piecemeal work for him when they had extra work. And so when I was 17, I was working professionally as an artist, you know, painting the characters for these Disney books that I actually still have a couple copies of. Um, because, and it was, I mean, it was technically my first professional gig because nice. I was getting paid to do it. Right. So, um, and then did a couple things off and on after that. Um, but yeah, then I did the stuff with Disney. Then I worked for Trader Joe's for about a decade doing their sign art, um, which if you're not familiar is a small, well, not so small anymore, but a grocery store chain that um, all of their shelf tags and uh, end cap signage is all done by hand by an artist in the store. Oh, wow. And so I did that for a decade and again, that was all in pastels. So I got to, you know, play with my pastels for a long time doing that. So, but uh, yeah. And since then I've been full freelance. So, you know, it just took that, that first push when I was 17 to go, Hey, look, you can make money doing this. So. No, that's fantastic. That's awesome. So when was the transition to be freelance? Like you're doing Trader Joe's, like, you know, what was the point where you're like, you know, I, I'm not doing exactly what I want. I want to, I want to transition into doing that. So my husband went back to school to get his master's degree in uh, 2011 and he graduated in 2013 and uh, doing uh, mental health um, couples and family therapy predominantly. And we were living in Eugene, Oregon at the time, which is oversaturated with therapists <laughs> so it turned into a hmm this is not really a great place for him to build his own practice and we had friends up in the uh north end of the puget sound north of seattle that were said they were turning away eight to ten people a week oh wow and so it was like okay if we are moving if we are completely moving out of the area this is it. This is me. I'm going freelance. I'm going full-time artist. not going to transfer to another Trader Joe's. We're going to, we're doing this. We're going full-time. And he was in, completely supportive of that and has been through all of the chaos since, because uh, <laughs> it's definitely been a wild ride the last eight years. But uh, yeah, that was, that was the final, the final like kick was, all right, if we're moving, this is our fresh start. So let's do this. And sometimes that's what it takes to, you know, pursue your dream. And I was very lucky that the couple years prior to that, I had started working with uh, a company called Imagination International, which used to uh, import and distribute co distribute Copic markers, um, which is kind of a de facto in the comic industry and scrapbooking and a lot of that. And so I was doing demos for them. Um, mostly store demos, but I would also travel to conventions with them and do demos at, at Comic-Cons. 
And I had that to kind of help bridge the gap between, okay, we're going full-time freelance and now I'm not making any money because uh, <laughs> I have to get myself established in this. Um, but that helped kind of carry me over. So I was still getting into, you know, going to shows and things like that and getting that bug again to start trying to sell at Comic-Cons because I used to sell at anime shows back in like the mid 2000s before the recession hit in 08. Mm -hmm. And when that hit, it was like, well, nope, we're uh, not doing this anymore. <laughs> this is not working. Um, so yeah, I was doing some shows with Copic and I was at a show by myself just doing a bunch of uh, panels for them. And I, yeah, I'll bring a couple prints and just see if people are interested. And I sold most of what I had brought with me that day. And I was like, well, okay. It's a uh, time to dip my toes back into the comic convention uh, world again because that was that was good. <laughs> yeah, no, that's fantastic. Um, <clears throat> I'm gonna get in there your psyche here. You know, your husband yeah. does this, but <laughs> what? Yeah, no. <laughs> we have hard rules about that. <laughs> <laughs> Don't analyze me. Um, yeah, no, no, that's been said. <laughs> I have my own therapist to do that. <laughs> That's hilarious. So you have, um, you know, you, you were with Disney and you had a time limit and stuff. How, what's your process now? Do you, are you pretty quick with printing out a, a, a piece of work or what is your process? I used to be, I have slowed down a bit. Um, mostly because I'm not doing portraits as fast or as often as I used to. Um, I still mess around with playing with portraits. Like my, my downtime for me only kind of work that I don't really share on socials. So there's no pressure behind it. I tend to take more of my time with it anyway. Um, and I work in a program on the iPad called procreate, which uh, emulates a lot of um, traditional mediums. So I can play with like pastels and oils and things like that in that program. And so I'll play with portraits in there and, you know, I can still probably, if I really settle in and focus and have good reference material, um, I can probably still knock one out in 45 minutes to an hour, but I'm doing them for fun now. So it's, that's less of a, you know, how fast can I do this versus am I enjoying myself doing this? Um, the digital stuff on the other hand, <laughs> the Art Nouveau stuff in particular uh, is not fast. <laughs> I wish it were. I'd be done with my tarot deck, that's for sure. But um, yeah, the the Art Nouveau pieces can take me anywhere from, on average, 20 to 60 hours. Oh, really? So yeah, it just depends on how much detail is getting thrown in. Mm -hmm. And I'm one of those people that sometimes I start down the detail path and I get so far deep in that like I, <laughs> I forget where I am for a few minutes. Uh, but so when yeah. you have a piece, uh, do you, are, are you reading something? Like what kind of influences you to be like, okay, I want to, I, I have this bar that's going to be playing on a windows or, or whatever, you know, like um, what's, how do you go through that to, to kind of pick what you want to do? Yeah. Sometimes I just have an image pop into my head and I'll go look through, I have um, a few different uh, reference points that I will check. Like I have a couple different um, reference photo packs that I have purchased from other artists who have the space where they set up and literally shoot thousands of photos of a model in different poses and different angles with different themes. Um, 
you know, any, any number of stuff like that. Sometimes I'll, I have a whole folder on my computer and multiple books on Alphonse Mucha's work. So sometimes I'll open up a few files of that or dig into the books going, okay, this is what I have in my head. How do I interpret that into this art style? Because it is very fluid and organic. Um, and so sometimes these more rigid poses that pop into my head, I'm like, okay, that's not going to work in this style. So how do I finagle that into this? Um, and then I'll just start sketching out different ideas and usually I can thumbnail two or three different sketches before I can settle on something going, okay, this is the direction I want to run with this. Um, the upside to working digitally is if I'm halfway through something and I go, this just really is not working, I can trash just the part that's not working and redo that piece rather than have to worry about Okay, do I have to start this whole thing over if I'm working in something like watercolor? Or uh, how much of this do I have to paint over to fix if I'm working in any number of other mediums? Right. Um, so like, again, big benefits of <laughs> working digitally is if something is totally not working, I can fix it without losing too much time. But yeah. Um, yeah, so then I start with sketches and uh, then I'll start into the line work and start refining the line work from there. And just, I am I am very much a adamant fan of reference material. Um, I have been told by people in the past that reference is cheating. If you can't do this from your head, then you're not a very good artist. And I'm like, okay, you sit down and draw Benedict Cumberbatch without looking at him go right. for it. Yeah. Let me know how that goes for you. Uh, you know, or something like that, right? Like getting, you know, proportions correct, getting angles correct. Like it's not not tracing, right? It's it's literally referencing what is in front of you, whether it is from a photograph or a real person. Um and you bet Da Vinci had a woman sitting in front of him when he painted the Mona Lisa. So, you know, right. <laughs> anyone they who tells me that reference is cheating which unfortunately is a very common mindset in younger artists that they get told by their friends, oh, well, if you had to look at something, well, you're not very good. It's like, that's too says bad. Who? Yeah. 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 It's, I've had to have this conversation with teenagers on multiple occasions going, no, no, reference is good. Reference is how you help yourself get better and spot your mistakes. When you have drawn, 2000 portraits, then you can start doing this stuff out of your head, but they'll all start looking the same because you're not looking at different eye shapes, different nose shapes, different jaw shapes, like things like that. So, you know, reference is not just about drawing what's in front of you. It's also about finding those little minutia differences from one person to the next that makes them look different and bringing that into your art. Well, and that's how you started from reference material the right. cover of, you know, the CD of the soundtrack of the beauty and the beast. Exactly. And, yeah. and as I'm walking around uh, different comic cons that I've been to, I'd say 30 to 40% of the people that are selling art, a lot of them are driving at their booth and a lot of them have a reference material with them yeah. as they're doing it. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, well, and especially if they're doing commissions of stuff that they've, they're not familiar with. Right. Um, I have a friend who does uh, a lot of anime commissions and anime pieces and there's so much anime out there nowadays it's like he does a ton and i know he knows a ton 
But even then, if somebody's going to walk up asking for some super obscure thing, he's going to, he pulls his phone out and Googles a couple images and, you know, goes, okay, this one. All right, cool. That's what I'm doing. Um, just because it's absurd to think that everybody can sit and draw Superman without having even, you know, a reference of Superman sitting in front of them, because especially when you get into all the different variations of Superman and all the, like the tiny little changes from, you know, one artist to another, or one version to another, or one reboot to another. Right. You yeah, know, it's like, like, do you want 1930s Superman or 1950s or do you want Jim Lee Superman or, you know, whoever? Right. Do you want Christopher Reeve Superman or yeah. do you want uh, Henry Cavill Superman? Like, yeah. 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 There's references is a necessity as an artist and yeah but there are some people who are very very good and can just pull this stuff out of their head but what people forget is they've spent years getting to that point of being able to do that right um drawing characters and uh portraits when you're at disneyland um mm -hmm. you only had a certain amount of time um i have seen artists you know not using construction lines and being able to to draw a face or or whatever very very well um do you how much do you have to to practice to get to that point or do you just kind of always use construction lines oh well, I, I still always use construction lines yeah even now um you know i've been working professionally for 25 years and yeah i still it's construction lines help you build the base to make sure that you're getting the forms and like especially like facial features and getting things balanced because not everything is going to be a straight on shot where you can you know use tools that let you mirror <laughs> just draw one side and it mirrors everything on the other um very few pieces of art are that head-on straight on to utilize tools like that so, you know, having those construction lines of like, okay, here are the eyes, here's the nose, here's the mouth, here's the center of the face to make sure I'm getting everything balanced. Um, especially if you're getting into a lot of these Art Nouveau, just the twisted bodies where, you know, the hips are very jutted to one side and the, the torso is moving in a different direction, being able to have those construction lines to follow where, what is the form doing here? Where, where are the hips, where are the legs? Where well, it's gotta be very fluid too. Like, right, right. And so like having those construction lines very early on helps establish what the form is doing before jumping into line work and then getting, you know, a couple hours into line work and going, oh no, this is so wrong. This is so wrong. This, this is good because anybody that's listening that's wants to, you know, pursue art as a career and they mm -hmm. think, oh, I don't have to use construction. I, I hope to get to the point where I don't have to use them. Um, it's kind of like the first draft of a novel. Like you kind of have to use them in order right. to build your finished product. I think, I don't know. I'm not, and, well, and there's nothing wrong with using them. Right. Like to think that, you know, yes, there are some people who have done so many thousands upon thousands of faces that they don't have to use them. Great. But they put the time in and they put the practice in that they might not have to do that. But most artists, especially if you get onto like Instagram or TikTok and you're watching artists work, most of them will throw it in there because it winds up being a time saver to not have to sit here and worry about, do I have these eyes balanced? Especially if the head is tilted in such a way where a straight line is not going to balance your eyes out. You, you have to follow that tilt. Um, just having those couple lines thrown down on the face is such a huge time saver. 
in terms of making sure that, yes, I have these things balanced. They're where they're supposed to be. This eye isn't just drifting off into the ether accidentally because that does happen. <laughs> uh, so, you know, knowledge of proportions and all of that is great, but sometimes just throwing those couple lines down just to make sure that you're getting everything balanced at the beginning saves so much time in the long run. Right. And not only on figures and, and portraits and stuff, but like when you're doing like scenery and, and scenes like, you know, vanishing point, throw some lines in there to, to get the perspective, right. Perspective. Like (laughs) there's a reason I don't do scenery. (laughs) (laughs) I I used to teach uh, adult uh, evening art classes and I was just, you know, basic class. We'd have eight weeks. I would spend one session, one night on perspective. And I was like, here is your basic crash course on perspective there are entire books written on this for a reason you're just getting the very tip of the iceberg on this so you kind of have a basic knowledge of what somebody's talking about if they mean if they're saying one point two point or three point perspective you know don't expect me to give you a full-on in-depth analysis of this because that's not my strength (laughs) and i applaud anyone who can do that well that's awesome that you taught i have a question for you are people born artists or are they created Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> here, here, okay. So, me, can I give you my theory first? Yes. Yes, please. So, I think that there are people with a, an inherent capacity for art. Yes. But I think there are those um, people that are out there that have no capacity that can still become artists. Mm-hmm. I don't know absolutely. if that's true or not. I do. I do absolutely think that's true. I think there are definitely people who just innately have this. I don't want to say talent because like, yeah, okay. They kind of have a talent, but they still have to refine that talent and pursue that talent, which then turns into the practice that makes them better. Um, I have known one person in my entire life that I could give a five minute, here's the basics of how to use this medium. And they were mastering it immediately. Um, But that person uh, also had a hyper-focus and this was her hyper-focus was art. And all she had ever done her entire life was art. And so it made sense to me that I could go, okay, here's, here's how to use pastels. Here's a five minute, you know, crash course, have at it. And then I'll come back and we can tweak things and, you know, go from there. And it was almost perfect every time. Just once she, once she figured out what she needed to know to go forward, she had it one person in my entire life that right. I've met who, who could do that. The rest of us have to work our way through this, even if we have an innate like sense of, okay, I can, I get the basics of how, how to do this. And I, I love drawing and I love doing these things. There is still a fair amount of training that has to go into every person to, to better themselves and achieve what they want, what they, they see in their head and how to get that onto the paper. And like, I, I spent years fighting with myself of like, I can see this image in my head, but I cannot put it on the paper. So I would have to, okay, how do I do this piece? How do I do this piece? How do I do this piece? And a chunk of it was self-taught. A chunk of it came through my art teachers. Some of it came through working at Disneyland and just like, oh, that's how you shortcut this piece of the face so that I can get this, you know, oh, here's this little thing that nobody has ever taught me about proportions in that regard, you know? There's, there's always stuff to learn and very few people are going to immediately know, oh, well, if you're doing a profile, the ear is halfway back on the head, not all the way back on the head, right? Like, yeah, there's, so 
yes, I think some people are innately tuned into art and how to pick things apart in order to translate it from 3D to 2D. But I also believe that there are people who have no skill at art at all, who, if they put the time in, can absolutely learn how to do things. You know, it's it's the good old do something for 10,000 hours and you'll get good at it. Right. No, that's encouraging because if, if you know, if there's somebody in their early teens or whatever thinking, oh, man, I just want to be an artist and I, I can't do it. Stick with it. Um, yeah, absolutely. I, I, okay, so I have a funny story about that. Yeah. Um, I was doing the demos for Copic at Anime Expo one year, and I was doing the Gal Gadot Wonder Woman. And uh, this girl comes up, she was maybe 14 or 15, and says, how do I get good like that? And I said, well, practice. She stomps her foot. Oh, that's what everybody says. I'm like, well. There is no magic button that just makes you do this. <laughs> right. There might be somebody who has, like we said, like no innate ability for mm-hmm. art. But, you know, if you stick with it and practice, you might be yeah. able to get up there to where you want. Find the right teacher. Find, you know, like I got very lucky with a public school art teacher. So, you know, find the, find the right person. Find the right YouTube channel even. Like there's so much stuff out there now that will teach you basic drawing or teach you like, oh, you're struggling with this thing? Well, here, here's how we do this thing. Um, I, I even have a client that I've had to hound him a few times. I'm like, if you feel like you get stuck, go watch speed paint videos. Like that sounds really weird and strange, but I inevitably, whenever I hit art blocks, which still happen, you know, <laughs> everybody gets them. Um, I'll go on YouTube and I'll watch speed painting videos of like, oh, this is how this person did this piece and this and this. And um, why haven't I tried that before? How did I not know this was a thing? Okay. And then I'd go in and start working doing, you know, those little tidbits that I picked up off speed paint videos. So well, that's yeah. fantastic. You can find help anywhere. Right. Right. With the stage of internet and, uh, information at our fingertips. Yeah. There's, there is literally help everywhere. There is a subreddit for that. <laughs> So. so Disney kind of got you into into drawing. What drew you into like fantasy Dungeons and Dragons and, and going that route? 13 years of World of Warcraft. Uh, <laughs> so you just started uh, playing and got hooked, huh? Yeah. Uh, well, my mom played. Oh, really? And so I was like, well, we and we lived in different states. So I'm like, well, this would be a good way to, you know, connect with her and play with her, uh, which did not happen all that often because she played an MMO as a solo game, oh. you know. <laughs> go figure uh but it was fine it made her happy um but uh and some of my friends that i met and we built our guild together uh were dungeon masters and i'd never gotten to play D before because we never could find enough people locally to do it and so we started playing online and then i finally got the courage up to go especially once we moved up here go find one of the local game stores that was doing like adventure leagues on wednesday nights and doing drop-in games and things like that and i'd been kind of playing with the art nouveau style for a while at that point and i'm like you know what it's really frustrating to me that i want to play this dwarven cleric and there is no art of a female dwarven cleric that's not in a bikini right like come on, like, <laughs> give me my breastplate and my mace and my shield, please. So yeah, I started playing around with that um, through Pathfinder into switching into fifth edition and things like that. Like, just, you know, 
give me that fighter in the full plate, please. Because if she's on the front line, unless you're a barbarian, there's absolutely no reason to have any skin exposed. <laughs> Thankfully, like we're starting to see that transition in, you know, tabletop gaming books and in things like WoW and Final Fantasy XIV and all of those. Like you're starting to see more of that transition to like, oh yeah, full plate coverage. That This makes sense. So, um, but yeah, I, a lot of my art has kind of spun out from playing D&D and the stories that you tell through that. And even now doing my tarot deck, I reach out to my friends going, tell me about your character. I want to find a place to stick them into my tarot deck. Oh, nice. Yeah. So how long have you been working on your tarot deck? Oh, since 2018 and I'm so ready to be done. <laughs> <laughs> the pandemic kind of put the brakes on a lot of things. Mm -hmm. um, artists hit a really hard time a few months in uh, to the pandemic because there was this encouragement to give, 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 put out art, put out art, put out art, entertain the people who are at home on lockdown, not doing anything else. And there wasn't a lot to refill our proverbial creative buckets at that point. And so I would hit these huge art blocks um, that on top of other family stuff that was going on at the time. And I was like, okay, well, I am being totally unproductive right now. So I'd play with other mediums. I downloaded a um, the predecessor to ZBrush, which is a 3D modeling, computer modeling program. Um, and learned, taught myself how to use that as a way to like kind of get the creative juices flowing again. Um, I had planned to have my tarot deck done by the end of 2020. And uh, yeah, no, that did not happen. <laughs> Partly because I lost out on all the convention sales that year too. So I had to continue to produce things that would hopefully sell online because the tarot, tarot prints don't particularly sell well by themselves. <laughs> a couple do, a couple of the, the cards do, but generally like people don't realize how many cards there are to begin with. So most people only have connections to like the strength card or, you know, the death card or the devil or things like that. So um, yeah, I had to find other ways to make money during the pandemic until shows came back last year. So I was, picking away at the deck, but uh, I just finished another card this morning. So 56 down, 22 to go. <laughs> no, this is interesting because as an author, you know, you have a big, um, big distributor in Amazon to mm -hmm. help you sell your books, but artists, you know, they have, you know, Etsy's big and, and stuff, but how do you, how are you able to, to market your stuff um, to get it out there? It's gotta be difficult. It is very, very difficult. Um, because even like you said, Etsy, Etsy is as bad as Amazon anymore of somebody searches Dungeons and Dragons and there are thousands upon thousands upon thousands of listings that now come back. Right. Um, same with some of my other stuff. Like I do uh, artwork of Critical Role, which, you know, seven years ago when I started doing that art, nobody knew what this was. So there were only a handful of listings on Etsy of those few of us who stumbled into it very early. Now, like, thousands upon thousands of listings again and you know getting getting your stuff to the top requires you selling stuff on etsy if you sell it you go up higher in the the listings so it's like well if i'm down on page six though most people don't make it that far <laughs> right they're specifically looking so, so conventions are where it at where it's at if you're an artist conventions are one of the best marketing tools 
Mm -hmm. um, because it gets you in front of thousands of people walking by. You know, it's it's like, you know, those billboards that you see on the side of the, the freeway that they're trying to get someone to pay to put their ads up there of like, you know, the thousands of people see this every day. It's very much the same idea of having your work out at a show, people see it and they stop if they, they find interest in it. Whereas if they were to go trying to look for something like that online, like stuff like mine, they might not even know what Art Nouveau is to even start to try to search for it. Right. So yeah, it's, it, I mean, and yes, it's a, it's a money maker in that regard, but like the marketing side of it is also a huge, huge portion of doing conventions and just getting your work in front of people who now will start looking for it and may, might go to Etsy, might go to your own website. Cause I do have my own shop with way more than I have on Etsy because I don't have to pay for listings in my own shop. So I have a lot of my old stuff or stuff that I have pulled down off of Etsy because it wasn't selling and I just had to keep paying to relist it and things like that. So it gives me the opportunity to put up prints of every single one of my tarot cards that hmm, somebody might really want a three of swords print. Who knows? Uh, <laughs> no. So do you have anybody that's wanting to get into this, uh, in this field wants to be a freelance artist? Do you have any tips or tricks that you, or advice you can give them? Find something unique. Do something that's a little bit different to make yourself stand apart um, and find ways to <laughs> to still keep making money on the side, if that makes sense. Because um, getting into doing commission work in freelance, like the biggest thing I will say is do not undersell yourself because you think people will not pay what you're worth. This is a huge, huge issue I see on the internet of especially younger artists just starting out, trying to get some commission work going, and they're charging $20 for something that's going to take them five or six hours. It's like, that's not worth your time. That is not worth your, your energy. You know, and I know it's scary to try to say, no, I want $100 for this. But, you know, you pay a plumber to come in and... <laughs> You pay them a lot of money to come in and do work on, and they've only had maybe two years of training. Most artists will have had five to 10 years of training before they're comfortable enough to start selling professionally. And they don't think about it like that because they just think about, oh, I'm just starting out. Like, no, you've, you've been doing this for a long time. You just right. haven't been making money professionally at it for a long time. So, yeah. Yeah, definitely. To anyone starting out, I always say, charge what you're worth. I know it's terrifying, but people will take you more seriously as an artist, too, if you're charging more than $20 for a full figure. Right. No, that's great advice. Brandy, go ahead and tell everybody how they can get a hold of you. Uh, you can hit my website, brandyyork.com. Uh, my shop is brandyyorkart.com, which you can also get to through my regular website. Uh, and pretty much all social medias are at Brandy York Art. Perfect. Brandy, thank you so much for talking with me today. I learned a oh, lot yeah, from thank you. Thank you. This is fun. Thank you for listening to the Troy Podcast. Please subscribe, like, and share with your friends.